I remember it was probably about sixth grade. The health teacher or the science teacher, can't even remember what, got up in front of the class looking incredibly uncomfortable and said, today we're going to talk about reproduction. <laughs> and the giggle started. The girls giggled behind their hands and they put their heads down. And the boys thought they were so cool because we weren't going to giggle at stuff like that. We like talking about this stuff, except the boys were giggling worse and opening into full-blown laughter because they couldn't deal with it. If you're my age, you're a Gen Xer or any older, you probably have a giggle story. When that teacher looked that uncomfortable at the front of the room and all the people in the class felt that uncomfortable too. One of the reasons that we are becoming a welcoming congregation and one of the reasons that we need to make church a safe place to talk about human sexuality and sex and relationships and all the difficult stuff that goes in with them is you got to get past the giggles. It can't be a place, church can't be a place where the giggles are the first thing that happens when you talk about something that's so pervasive and important about human living. Michelle has a story that illustrates the type of thing that just happens in life and we should be prepared for. Right. So, in a neighborhood near you, um, there's a young person I know who's about 14 and is struggling to get mom to accept that she is really a he. They're almost fully invested, this individual, in changing their name, covering up any signs of being female, and imagining when they are going to be able to start taking hormones. They also have a boyfriend and have started to sneak off after school to the boyfriend's house because their mom freaked out finding them alone at their house one day after school. So this individual confides to me and gets a little giggly when I ask, if they've started fooling around. Some kissing and touching, maybe, I ask, and they giggle and nod, both excited and embarrassed. Don't tell my mom, they insist. She will freak out. I remind them that we will need to discuss these things with mom at some point and suggest that it's up to them to start a conversation with with her themselves. And I say, ask mom what's okay for you two to be doing, not just about what we know is not okay. And then I remind them, you can still get pregnant. And they met this with objections and insistence. They are not going to have sex, not anytime soon anyway. Right. You've said that you want to wait for that. Yeah, I get it, but stuff happens sometimes, and sometimes it happens so fast you forget that you didn't want to go there. So I promise to keep exploring this hot new topic of sex with, that is oh so taboo but oh so real, and I will have a talk with Mom. Just one example. About five years ago, six years ago now, I took a class with Deborah Hafner, who's a UU minister and a trained sexologist. It was a class on human sexuality and sexual ethics for religious professionals. And one of the assignments we had was to watch a series of videos that presented some test cases. Some were animated, some used live actors. And we watched the videos, and our assignment was, okay, you're the pastor, this happens to you, this comes to your office, what do you do? Here's the thing she threw at us. 
You notice a family hasn't been in church for a number of months. So you call, just as we tend to do, and ask, hey, is everything going on? We haven't seen you in a while. Is everything okay? And the very serious woman on the phone, who's a mom and a wife, says, we need to talk to you. And they make an appointment to come in. And they come in, and their high school sophomore is obviously very pregnant. And the dad says, go on, tell the reverend. And she says, I'm pregnant. And then the mother says, and that's why we haven't been to church, and that's why she's going away, and that's why you won't see us again for a little while. You're the pastor. Even more relevant to you, you're the church. What do you do? A local story breaks on the local news station that there's a registered sex offender in your congregation. Person's been coming for a number of months, isn't yet a member. And then the story tells you basically who this person is, and the person is not an adult. It's a minor who's a registered sex offender. You're the pastor. You're the church. What do you do? A woman and her husband who have been attending your church with their two children in grade school for about six months make an appointment to come to see you. They've just attended the new member class. They'll be joining the church in a few weeks officially. They sit down with you in the office and the woman says very softly, we've been having a difficult time at church. People aren't talking with us. Our children aren't being invited to go on play dates. You ask what happened, and she tells you, someone has outed them as members of the local BDSM and kink community. You're the pastor. You're the church. What do you do? What do you say? A lesbian couple calls you up. They've been in the church almost two years. They're members. They're incredibly involved. They have a young son in grade school. They want to speak with you. They come in, and they say, we love this place. Everyone's so great to us. Our son's having a great time here. And we want to know if it's okay for Bob, our husband, to start coming to church with us. You and the rest of the church thought it was a lesbian couple. Turns out it's a triad, a polyamorous family. You're the pastor. You're the church. What do you do? You know, these may seem like off-the-wall things, but I took that class maybe five and a half years ago. In the time since, I've run into every single one of those scenarios, either in the church I was serving or in the church of a good friend who's also a UU minister. Real life happens. Story Michelle told you, all those scenarios, those are all real. And they happen in churches all the time. And if the first time you hear about it, or the first time you have to deal with it, is out of the blue like that, the best you can do is give a reactionary response. But if church is a safe place where you talk about sex and human sexuality, 
and difficult things and you practice honesty and covenant, it's not going to give you any easier answers to difficult situations. But you won't be reactionary. You'll be operating out of values and policies and things you've discussed ahead of time of what kind of minister you are, if it's me, or what kind of church we are, if it's all of us. And for that reason, as one among many, we're going to begin offering our, our whole lives, human sexuality education. OWL is a program that was developed by the Unitarian Universalist Association in concert with the United Church of Christ. And it is a state-of-the-art human sexuality program. It meets or exceeds all guidelines for such programs developed by professional educators and sex educators. Our whole lives started in Unitarian Universalism as a thing called about your sexuality in the late 1960s. And congregations had to get their copy of the curriculum from others who passed it off in hard copy at conferences and church gatherings because in 1968 it was illegal to transport that curriculum across state lines. It was pornography. Because it had illustrations of things like sexual organs, and people and sexual activity, and other things. And 1960s may seem a long time away, but a generation ago, when the United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Universalist Association developed OWL and published it widely, there were segments on different television networks about the church that forces pornography on its children in Sunday school. And so, you know, we can't be healthy. We can't be healthy. Our children can't be healthy. Our community can't be healthy if we can't get past the giggles. OWL is a science-based, developmentally accurate curriculum that deals not just with the biology, but with the psychology of human sexuality. It deals with the body parts and sexual orientation, all that stuff, but also deals with how you have an open and honest relationship and communicate. It's an amazing program. There are six developmental levels, ranging from kindergarten and pre-K to adults. You know, it's amazing. And one of the things it allows us to do, both as a pastoral staff and as a congregation, is approach human sexuality in what sex educator Jack Annan termed plicit in the 1970s. And the plicit approach to sexuality education is this. It's about permission, limited information, specific suggestions, and intensive therapy. Permission. When someone has an issue or a question about human sexuality, most of the time, the great majority of the time, the issue can be handled just by granting permission. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to be queer. It's okay to be questioning. It's okay to like that activity. It's okay. It's human sexuality. You're normal. Because there's no normal. And a lot of times we, we get what we need right at that level. If we don't, then there's limited information. Sometimes what someone needs is a little knowledge of anatomy or a diagram, or a definition, or a word. 
whatever limited information it requires to get them comfortable with whatever it is they're facing. And limited information also applies to developmental levels. We are not going to talk about human sexuality or gay relationships the way we'd talk to a small child, like we did in our story today, with adults or teenagers. So the information gets limited and gets bigger as we go up the developmental ladder toward adulthood. If limited information isn't enough, sometimes specific suggestions are needed. That kind of stuff can be how to engage a certain behavior, how to practice safe sex, how to have a certain conversation, or, or things that are more explicit and involved. It's in this area that we start to get close to the pay grade of the pastoral staff and the counselor and the church. But the number of people who need that kind of help is also much smaller than the number of people who just need permission or limited information. If someone's dealing with a human sexuality issue that needs intensive therapy, that's certainly above my grade, my pay grade. I'm not a clinician, and I'm not a specialist in clinically counseling people with human sexuality issues. And neither is somebody like Michelle, who's a trained counselor. There's, there's a place where you, you, you really need a lot of intense help from somebody specifically, specifically trained. But that's a much smaller percentage of people than need all the other three levels of education and intervention. And OWL helps us teach our children and ourselves enough so that all those issues of permission and limited information, maybe some specific suggestions are taken care of so that as children grow and as we become adults, we don't run into the situation like Michelle already told you about, or we're not as uncomfortable with it, or we don't run into this situation right. and find it so uncomfortable. Okay. So another tale from the neighborhood. Um, so a couple was arguing about their 14-year-old daughter and her lack of consideration and responsibility around coming home when she said she would. She had gone to the mall with her boyfriend, and instead of coming straight home, his sister was driving her, um, she ended up at her boyfriend's mother's house, which was a few towns away. Um, she had been responding to mom's text, but was still two hours later than originally agreed upon, and dad was livid that mom didn't set more limits, put more consequences on the young girl, like take her phone away and not let her go out at all. And then mom was feeling bad that she couldn't be more involved in transporting the kids to and from their dates because their car was often not working well. And they were at the mercy of the boys' family for, riding, for rides much of the time. So, and it seemed their daughter would rather hang out at his house. So they kept going on about, you know, who, who should do what and whose fault it is. And I had to stop them and say, have you guys talked with your daughter about sex yet? Oh, yeah, this, this was an afterthought, but, yeah, we, we talked about it, and, you know, we knew that um, you know, she, she knows the birds and the bees. Mom was pretty confident that uh, she knew what she should and shouldn't do, but they hadn't talked about birth control. And I did remind her that once the kids start hanging out alone together, which happens, whether you are paying attention or setting limits or not, there's, there's always a way. There's usually a lot more going on. And it's time to start talking about what that is, not just about what she shouldn't be doing. So I encourage them both to have a conversation again about what is okay and how to handle what is not okay. 
And I reminded them that sex happens whether you talk about it or not. Indeed, it does. And because it happens whether you talk about it or not, we need to talk about it. One of the great benefits of OWL is that young people who go through it are more comfortable talking about this stuff for one and asking questions. And sometimes, even as young people, being comfortable enough and knowing it's safe enough to ask a question can not only save your health, but sometimes <clears throat> save your life. It's important stuff. And OWL really works. The young people who go through it have sex later, have sex less often, report having safer sex than their peers, and they have more healthy relationships. They are much less susceptible to sexual assault, bullying, all kinds of other negative things that creep in when people are learning and negotiating their first relationships as adolescents and young adults. It works. You know, it's also good for adults. And if you don't think we need OWL for adults, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I asked you to raise your hand, it was okay to do so, you know, could you raise your hand saying, you're even uncomfortable listening to this right now? And if so, OWL for adults helps. It creates a safer place where it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's safe and it's acceptable. And some of the OWL stuff, you know, you can talk about with adults is, no, everyone is not having hotter, more often sex than you. You'd learn things like the average number of times partners in America have sex is 57 times a year. Once a week plus a couple extra times on weekends and vacation. You'd know, you know, you'd know that sex is a recommitment ritual in a relationship. You'd know some things about human sexuality being more like a pizza with different slices and flavors than a baseball diamond with first and second and third base and everything, right? Because the pizza gets us past the giggles because it's stuff we're safe and okay to talk about. And getting past the giggles is so important because in church, not only the minister, but the church is going to find itself in pastoral situations where it has to talk about relationships and sexual dysfunction in men and women and family planning and adolescent sexuality and making lots of decisions about all this stuff. And we make better decisions as human beings the more informed and less afraid we are. And the more informed and less afraid we are about sex and human sexuality in church, it becomes yet a safer place where people get more education and feel more comfortable and therefore make better decisions for themselves and their families and the community. Part of the benefit of being a welcoming congregation that deals with owl and human sexuality is we can also do more justice work because as Unitarian Universalists, we believe that relationships are based on love. They are based on mutual consent and respect and dignity and not on coercion. And therefore, we get to be a voice that's stronger, I hope, against things like the prevalence of rape culture and sexual, sexual assault and sexual misconduct. But we can't be a voice for those things if we're not past the giggles when those topics come up. And most importantly, our theology as Unitarian Universalists does not see the spirit as holy and the body as inferior. We preach a theology of integration where human beings are integrated intellect and emotion and physical form. And it's a holistic approach. 
In one part of us, the body is not any less holy or more shameful than another part. And that's what we want to teach our young people. And that's what we want to reinforce in ourselves. We want to get into a real understanding, I think, of eros. And eros does not just mean, it's the root word for erotic, but it doesn't just mean what we think of as erotic. It means the physicality of relationship for ourselves, with ourselves, and with others. And if we are comfortable in our physical selves and our spiritual selves and our emotional selves, we are healthier. And our families are healthier. And our communities are healthier. And we don't get so hung up about what to do like the parent in Michelle's last story. (laughs) Okay, one more. So, Dad pulled me aside to talk again about his 14-year-old son and the iPad and iPhone situation. Dad had found the porn sites as well as some very suggestive selfies on the phone. Now what, he wanted to know. How is he supposed to talk about his son about what is okay and what is not okay? And I reminded Dad not to freak out but to think of a way to bring up the subject with some sensitivity, understanding that this is what we consider normal in terms of sexual development. We could agree that this was not so much different than the dirty magazines of the previous generation hidden under the mattress so parents could pretend that masturbation was not going on behind those closed doors. So we discussed the problem ahead of time about the internet today and the vulnerability it creates in kids who didn't expect nude photos to go viral at school and the legal issues that arise from sharing material that could get a young person labeled as a sex offender. That's right, just a picture could get you labeled as a sex offender. And it was so much more complex than this dad and I knew when we were younger. So the next time they came in together, dad did a pretty good job bringing up the topic with the boy in the room. He was calm, understanding, and able to set some limits around the use of the Internet without blatantly pointing him out, calling him out on, what are you doing? There was no no punitive conversation there. Um, But it was a really important conversation, um, and I gave the guy a lot of credit because I hope that it built trust and avoided the potential pitfalls in the lives of his son and other young people as they navigate sex and sexuality in a changing world. And so we continue our journey. We continue our journey into becoming a welcoming congregation where church is a safe place to talk about sex and sexuality and relationships and being human. Because this journey is indeed, as the curriculum states, about our whole lives.